Well, this week we come to the midpoint in our study of Old Testament prophecy involving Elijah and Elisha. And in the end, the story of Elijah kind of ends on a down note, if you will. If you look at it, uh, Hey friends, welcome back here to the Semi-Seminarian. We now reach the halfway point in our study in which we're looking at the two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And in a way, this story kind of ends on a down note. We see this fantastic person of God that's been used in such miraculous ways. Well, just being like us. Despite all of our recent successes, just One criticism, one stumbling block can bring it all tumbling down. And it'll just send us into a tailspin and often leads to a depression that's, well, sometimes unnecessary. I hope you'll enjoy this last uh, story about the prophet Elijah. I'll see you on the other side. Uh, as always, uh, I just like to begin with saying that I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you guys tonight doing this. Uh, again, I know this is probably the exact wrong thing I'm supposed to say, but uh, I just, I think I enjoy Wednesdays. Well, let's just say this. Wednesdays are just as much enjoy, I have just as much enjoyment out of Wednesdays as I do on Sunday mornings. I really do. Um, and don't don't misunderstand. I mean, I think for me, um, I just think sharing a meal together, um, you know, uh, the old, the old, uh, Christian saying that community happens around or in circles, not in rows, you know? And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And so don't get me wrong. Sunday's great, but the time we spend together, on Wednesday evenings <clears throat> is the highlight of my week. Truly is. Amen. So uh, we're wrapping up the first half of our series in which we're looking at these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Okay. Um, we're going to wrap up the telling of the story of Elijah today, and then next week we'll begin telling the story of Elisha. And if you've enjoyed... I would, at least what I consider to be the comical and very human nature of the stories that take place with Elijah and the things that he does, Elisha won't disappoint you. They, the story, that same kind of story uh, continues. Um, it's going to, uh, listen, I'll go ahead and tell you, there's going to come a time where, and again, remember like we said in Sunday school, uh, the Bible is not always go and do likewise. And the Holy Spirit's there to kind of sometimes show you maybe something that uh, characters in the Bible did that's knuckleheaded. And they're in the Bible not because they're perfect, because they made a knucklehead decision that's very common for us to make. We can sometimes let our emotions get the better of us, right? Even when we understand what God's calling is on our lives. Elisha, in the midst of his calling, is being a like just, uh successor the guy walking around where everybody says that guy speaks from god right rock star in the hebrew world and he man of god he's gonna let himself 
Uh, he's going to let himself get the better of himself. I don't, I don't know if I say that. I don't know if that's how that goes. When uh, he's going to run across some kids that are going to call him baldy and he's going to sick a bear on them. Right? It's that kind of stuff that happens in the stories of Elisha. It's a lot of fun. We, we might even continue this summer. Um, maybe after Elisha, we'll look at the judge, uh, Samson. Because uh, Samson's got a lot of knucklehead stories in, in, in his uh, testimony as well that, that teach us something. But also kind of, if we look with the right set of eyes, uh, can give us a chuckle uh, as a result. So we're finishing up Elijah. If you have your Bibles, your phone, whatever, uh, we're at 1 Kings 19 tonight. And we're going to talk tonight. Tonight's uh, story is called How to Be Depressed. Um, and I think this is the beauty of, of Elijah's story. We, we're going to conclude the story of Elijah who's done all of these crazy things. I'm not going to repeat them. I've got a recap here in just a second. All of these successful things for God... The, at the end of his story in Scripture, we find him just like us. Despite our successes, despite the blessings in our lives, we can let the lies of our spiritual enemy into our lives. We can allow our certain circumstances around us to affect our Lives and, and despite all of the great things happening in our lives, we find ourselves depressed. So we're going to talk today. If you want to know, if, you, if you're like someone, man, I don't even know who you're talking about. That's not me. Well, if you're curious how the other half lives, tonight we're going to talk about how to be depressed. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about depression in the life of a man of God. <clears throat> remember who had just had one of these great victories on Mount Carmel before the cloud with the hand, the fist and that bit. Remember the fire that came down. He had the big showdown with the prophets of Baal, right? Right after that, right after that, we find him at a very low point in his life. The one of life, we'll pick up the story. Verse one of 19, first Kings. Here's what scripture says. The Bible says, now Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Part of the story that we um, skip is after the fire showdown, the prophets of Baal all rode, run down into the valley and, and Elijah and his supporters go down and they kill, they slaughter him. So, uh, so there's that. So the, that's what the that's the event that she's referring to here, uh, that he rather <clears throat> is telling Jezebel all that had happened. Now he'd killed all the prophets with a sword. Um, now, before we you know get too mad at at, at uh, Elijah, remember the, the political context that we're in. If you recall. Uh, the time period that we're in here right now, in, the story is set in like 800 B.C., okay? About 200 years after David, after King David, the, and under Solomon, the unification of the two tribes of Israel into the one. And then after Solomon, the nations divide again. Remember, we have two kingdoms. We have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Our story... The story of Elijah is set in 
the kingdom of Israel, right? The northern kingdom. And it's set about 800 B.C. And after Solomon, there was a succession of 19 kings, each one more wicked or evil than the next. And Ahab here is number 19. And 1 Kings says Ahab is the wickedest of all of them. And he's got this wife. Her name is Jezebel, remember? Right? And why is he so incredibly wicked? Because he's actively... His wife, Jezebel, is a Canaanite. Okay? Her gods are, Her God is not Yahweh. Her gods are Baal and Asherah. And so... In a very, say, uh, what's uh, Will Smith's wife's name? Is it Jada? Jada. Jada. Uh In a very Jada, Will Smith way, right? Jezebel gets Ahab to kind of switch the religion of, of the nation of Israel from the worship of Yahweh to the worship of Baal and Asherah. So King Ahab, as Yahweh's kingly representative on earth, is actively turning the people of God away from God. Right? That's why, that's why he's number one of 19 bad kings in a row. Or 19 of 19, however you want to, his ranking would be number one, okay? So, so uh, and he's really... Uh, He's really relinquished a lot of his control over to Jezebel. And towards the end of his reign, he's really kind of a lame duck because she's, she's really the one that's kind of taking over. So here's what she does in verse 2. So Scripture says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Okay. It's really beautiful, but when you're just hearing me say it, it's hard to what? Jezebel tells a messenger, go tell Elijah this. Okay, so he runs. Elijah got a story, uh, got a message from Jezebel. Okay, what does she say? He says, she says, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of my priests and prophets that you killed with the sword. Right? 24 hours to live. And by golly, if my God needs to strike me down because I didn't get it done, then let him take my life. But by tomorrow this time, you're going to be dead. Right? She's referring to these false prophets. She's saying, I'm going to kill you. Right? Now remember all this stuff that Elijah's been through. Verse 3, the next verse, Scripture says, Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now wait a minute. When we read this, this is very confusing, right? Again, I'm encouraging you to think back through our stories. All the amazing things that God had done in the life of Elijah. If you missed the past couple of weeks or if you can't remember, let me just very quickly review the story. Right? And I want you to listen. 
Because when you hear me retell what God has done in Elijah's life, and when you see Elijah's response to this threat from Jezebel, it might cause you to pause and go, what? And then we'll get to that. Okay, so very quickly, week number one, we studied that the king had turned the hearts of people away from Jehovah God to the false prophets. Remember, I was just saying that. So God raises up out of nowhere this prophet by the name of Elijah. He comes, and Elijah comes to the king, stares down the king, and if you remember, he says, it's not going to rain until I ask God for it to rain again. And he pronounces this huge drought, and sure enough, three years, the whole thing happens. It doesn't rain at all. Then God takes him to that place of cutting. Remember the humbling, the, the cutting down, that word, Kareth Ravine. It's right there. The ravine of Kareth, right? That word Kareth, it means to cut down like you're chopping a tree. Remember, he's in that time of preparation. And, and uh, while the king's men are out searching for him, he's hidden. We're in the drought, right? Remember the agricultural devastation that would have taken place. And then there's this brook that comes uh, from God and it nourishes him. The birds bring him the meat each day, right? And then... Then when he leaves Kareth Ravine, he meets that widow woman, uh, the lady in uh, Zarephath. Zarephath's up, uh, where did it go? (laughs) It's been a while since I have looked at this map. Zarephath up there, up here to the top. Right? Uh, Meets a widow. She just has a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. You remember, she says, I'm just picking up sticks to create one last fire because my son and I only have just enough for one more baking of bread. I'm going to make a fire and cook that uh, loaf of bread, and then we're going to lay down to die. Remember, because they were out out of food. He says, make me some food. The oil and and the flour won't ever run dry. And sure enough, it doesn't, right? And if you recall, that's not the only story with the widow because right after that, the widow's son dies. And uh, first time recorded in Scripture, Elijah takes the dead boy upstairs, prays to God for the young boy, and the boy is restored to life. Elijah must be looking on in his life after, you know, raising people from the dead, miraculously feeding three people, having water to drink in the middle of a drought, having birds bringing you food, Right After all of that, you must have understood the power of God working in your life, right? As Elijah, you must be thinking God is faithful. God is good. God is powerful. How do I know it's not faith for me, brother? I've seen it. I've seen it. And then after the season of hiding, there'd been no rain. God calls Elijah to go and confront the king again. He says, hey, bring the false prophets, has the showdown, get the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, the female version of the Baal god. They were up on Mount Carmel, right here in the circle, Mount Carmel. Um, And he says, "Uh, we're going to see whose god's the real god, the sun god or my god, right? They built a cup of altars, they put some, they sacrificed some bulls, put them on there. Hey, fire God, come down, come down, and may God send your fire. Remember the false gods are doing the dance. They're starting to cut themselves. Uh, Elijah makes fun of them, says maybe your God's in the bathroom and can't hear you. 
And uh, then he calls on God. God sends a fire down. Whoosh. Burns up not only his altar, but the altar of uh, Baal and Asherah, and even burns the stones and licks at the water that was thrown on it to try to extinguish the fire. Miraculous provision. Miraculous protection of Elijah. Miraculous God. Remember last week, the faith to pray, knowing God, an expectant prayer, knowing God will answer, and the faith to see a cloud on the horizon above the sea, just about the size of a man's hand, if you recall. And he told everybody to get down off the mountain because a storm was coming. And sure enough, God brought rain. Over and over and over and over and over again these weeks, we have highlighted the faithfulness of God in Elijah's life. And then out of the blue, just one day, a woman says, I'm going to kill you, and Elijah freaks out. He wigs out, he panics, and he runs for his life. This evening, I'd like to talk to you about four easy ways to get depressed. Four easy steps to get depressed. We're going to find in First. Uh, Kings 19, 3 and 5, when Scripture says, When Elijah came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed. His prayer to God, after all this, is that he might die. Interesting. He has just had this humongous victory over the main competing religion in town. He had showed them down and won. I mean, this is the equivalent of the Super Bowl to these, this kind of thing. I mean, this, this was a major victory for the people of God against the false prophets of the Canaanite gods. Right? This is amazing. And a few days later, he's praying for his life to end. He prays, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. How do we get depressed? Four easy steps. Step number one, do what Elijah did. Number one, wear yourself out. If you want to get depressed... Wear yourself out. Run on E all the time. Great way to get depressed. If you noticed over the past few years, Elijah had been in this massive spiritual battle. This was a three-year battle here, guys. Trusting God, praying, trusting God, praying, seeking God, praying, trusting God, battle faith, battle faith, battle faith. Victory runs for his life. And geographically, he couldn't have run any farther than he did. The place that he ran to is at the very southern tip. He leaves his buddy, the servant, runs another day journey into the desert. He went as far as he could when he became totally and physically exhausted. Maybe like you. 
and you wonder, why am I depressed? Because you have wore yourself plumb out. Right? Look, look at moms today. Moms who, who work a full-time job, they take care of the house, they put dinner on the table, the carton kids all over the world, they're PTAing, they're involved in church, right? And they wonder why, right? And, and for some, it's, it's not necessarily the physical exertion, but it's, it's up here, right? It's, <clears throat> I've always got to be there for them. Uh, we talked about this on Sunday, right? If, if I, um, that feeling of, if I don't do it, nobody will. Right. If I want it done right, I have to do it myself. I can't trust anybody else. It's it's not a constant necessarily physical exertion, but it's that constant mental exertion. Right. I've got to be strong for everybody. I've got to be the provider. I've got to be the one that's the nurturer, all that kind of stuff. You've worn yourself out. Step number two, step, sorry, step number one is to wear yourself out. Step number two is to shut people out. And that's exactly what Elijah does in this story. He abandons his closest friend, his servant. Right? He says, you stay here, I'm going on. Quite honestly, that's what a lot of us will do when we get overwhelmed. I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going through. If I did, you wouldn't understand anyway. Right? So we wall up. We push people away. And I'll admit, that's definitely something that I do whenever I'm worn out and hurting. I put a wall up. Right? I just want to deal with this myself. I don't need advice. I don't need assistance. I can get through it. You wouldn't understand what it's like anyway. That kind of stuff. Right? That's wrong. We stiff-arm, emotionally, we stiff-arm those that we love. You want to get depressed like Elijah, even despite your successes? One, wear yourself out. Two, shut people out. Number three, focus on the negative. Focus on the negative. This is exactly what our hero here in the story Elijah does. It's a great man of faith. What's a story tell us that Elijah says? He says this. He says, I've had enough. I'm not any better than my ancestors. Right? What's funny is nobody's asking him if he was. But in his mind, the self-pity has already begun to take over. Right? I mean, he's got this one threat, but nobody's criticizing him. God's not chastening him and saying you're doing it wrongly. Yes, Jezebel has threatened his life, but outside of that, there's no criticism. And yet for him, oh, it's I failed. Self-pity, I've failed. Right? And, and that happens to all of us. Maybe it's not about someone threatening to kill us, but I'm always going to be stuck in this place in my life. I'm never going to be any good. My life's never going to get any better. I'm never going to be able to get good grades in school, right? Whatever. I'm never going to get the promotion. My kids aren't ever going to come to Christ. 
After that ice cream I just ate, I'm never going to get in those pants again. I mean, it's, it runs, but that idea is there. Self-pity. Right? Always focusing on the negative. It's an exaggeration every time when we do that, when we focus on the negative. Because it's all of the bad things and none of the good things. Right? If you want to get depressed, you can do it just like this person in Scripture, Elijah here. Right? You shut others out. You don't let them in. You focus on the negative. The fourth thing, if you want to get depressed, is forget God. Which is exactly what many of us do. Imagine this. Again, all that we have seen God doing in this man's life. Supernatural protection. Supernatural provision. Right? Birds feeding him. Water from the book. Raising the dead. Fire from heaven. Right? Oh God, you're not going to come through for me. Which is so often what we do. Oh, I, I, it's too much to expect that I could ever get this blessing. Right? And we need to, and we fail to so often. All we've got to do is just look back in our life where God has proven God's faithfulness to us. That's where our faith comes from. When, when, when I feel like I need that boost of faith, I can just think back. And I don't have to think too hard. Because I recognize, by no means have I gotten everything I've ever wanted in my life by no stretch of the imagination. But what I can definitely tell you is I can look back on the events of my life and I can see where God proved his faithfulness to me. Even in those moments of unanswered prayers. Right? How to get depressed, four easy steps. Wear yourself out, shut people out, focus on the negative, and forget God. So if that's how to, let's talk about the answer. Because uh, quite frankly, many of us here today, is uh, that may be exactly the word that we need to hear tonight. God speaking directly to us. Because maybe, maybe you're just a little bit blue. Maybe you're in full-blown blown depression. Maybe you're in a place of hopelessness. And the good news is God wants to speak to us. So let's continue to look at Scripture. Let's see if we could find God's prescription for our depression. Elijah didn't have any hope, right? He's hiding out. He's gone just about as far as he can go, wanting to die. And I want you to notice that God sends an angel to represent God. And I want you to notice what God does not do through this angel. There is no sermon there's no rebuke of Elijah for this. There's no shame that God tries to place on Elijah because of his apparent lack of faith. Right? The angel is not saying, if only you had more faith, Elijah. If only you'd memorized more Bible verses. Only if you'd quoted the Bible verses and quit acting like a baby. There's no rebuke. There's no negative. The very first thing the angel of the Lord says is this. He says, eat and rest. 
The very first prescription for our depression, God says to eat and rest. Look at verse 5, middle of the verse, uh, and verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. All at once the angel touched him and he said, get up and eat. Verse 6 says, Elijah looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. <laughs> when I look back on the faithfulness, the provision of God, there's no wonder to me that one of the things I definitely love about God is how he blesses us with food, right? Something really great about that. I think it, it's something that just is, is truly, uh, I think it's beautiful, right? Makes me very thankful. Scripture says he ate and drank and then laid down again. Eat and rest. For many of us, the most spiritual thing that you can do is not go to another meeting. Not, not read another Bible verse. But the most spiritual thing that you can do is rest. In fact, perhaps one of the most disobeyed commandments of uh, God in the world in which we live is people don't rest the way we've been commanded to do. To honor God with the Sabbath, and yet we shake that off like it's nothing. Perhaps the most spiritual thing that some of us can do is rest. And I know what you're thinking, or you might be. What I'm thinking, right? No, no, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. And I believe the God of rest and love and mercy, friends, I believe that that God would say, doesn't matter if the clothes are dirty right now. Doesn't matter if the house is not perfectly clean. Doesn't matter if the yard's not mowed right now. It doesn't matter if a few things go undone. But perhaps the most important thing, the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. The angel of the Lord provides food, and he takes a nap. Let's read on in Scripture, verse 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up and he ate. I'm sorry, he ate and drank. Now check this out. Strengthened by that food, certainly by the rest, strengthened, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this is the same mountain that most biblical scholars believe that the people of God, the Israelites believe that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, Mount Horeb, okay? So 40 days, uh, 40 nights, let's see, where was I here? Basically eat, <laughs> eat, rest, and then go to church is what he's done. Go to the place where God is. God's prescription for depression. Eat and rest, and now go to the place where you know you will experience God. First thing he does, right? Go, eat, and rest. The second thing, number two, is God will replace our lies with his truth. And this ties in exactly what we were talking about Sunday in church, right? The lies we tell ourselves, the lies we believe from the spiritual enemy that are true to us, that that we believe to be true, even though they are lies, 
Because we believe them to be true, we will not treat them as lies. We will treat them as the truth in our life. And when we believe the lies of the spiritual enemy, you're no good. You'll always be like that. You can't really be close to God. You can't have heaven on earth. Whatever it is, you can't be healed. Your relationship can't get better. Right? Allowing God in our lives allows God to change those lies to his truth. Right? And this is exactly what happens here. So I speak to you. God replaces our lies, the lies we're believing, with God's truth. Verse 9 and 10. Then Elijah went into a cave and spent the light at night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let's pause here and acknowledge God already knew what Elijah was there doing. God isn't out there, uh, out on the outside of the cave going, Hmm, I'm wondering, right? Let me do some investigative work and figure out what Elijah's doing here. God already knew what Elijah was doing. What God wanted Elijah to do was to voice his problem, to verbalize what, what lies he had been believing so God could correct the lies. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. True. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Remember, Ahab's turned them to these Canaanite gods. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. True. Broken down your altars. True. And put your prophets to death by the sword. True. And now I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. False. I am the only one left. False. I've been doing all the work here. False. He owned more responsibility than was actually his. He had done what God asked him to do, and he thought he was supposed to do everything. There's no one who cares like I care. Everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Right? If you read on in the story, God's actually going to say, well, Elijah, really and truthfully, there's 7,000 other dedicated Israelites. 7,000 others who have not yet bowed down to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. There's 7,000 other people, Elijah, just like you, seeking me and praying. Don't believe the lies. You're not the only one. Oh, I, <laughs> I, imagine, I could imagine what God might say to us when we believe the lies, right? Oh, my marriage could never be healed. Why? Right? With God, thing, with God, all things are possible. Replace the lie with the truth. My kids are never going to come back to Christ. False. Right? With the faith the size of a mustard seed, God can move mountains. I've got this medical report. I've only got 30 days to live. Just saying, is it too hard for God? 
So many of us believe the lies. Right? My life is never going to get better. I'm never going to have positive, intimate, loving relationships. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I'm going to be stuck in this dead-end job for the rest of my life. I've got no real ministry. I'm not making a difference. I can't make a difference. My husband's never going to come to Christ. I'm always going to feel alone. God will take those lies and replace them with truth. This Sunday, we're going to talk about this exact uh, practice. Take thought. Take every thought captive. Every thought. And make it obedient to Christ. Right? Some might, some of us might, if we were to verbalize it, you might just speak a lie. Well, I'm always going to be depressed. We're going to talk about the Sundays. It's just the way I am. Right? I can't ever change. It's just the way I am. It's always going to be like this. Right? Elijah's case. It's not true, Elijah. It's not just you. There are 7,000 people who care about you. There are believers who surround you. The Holy Spirit to comfort you. Don't believe the lies. God's prescription for our depression. Take rest. Eat. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is to take time off. And to replace the lies that we're believing with the truth of God. The third thing that God does, and this one's particularly of importance to me, I hope this will be important to you, is to understand that God speaks in a still, small voice. God says, eat and rest. God says, I'll replace your lies with my truth. God speaks in a still, small voice. Now remember who Elijah's used to dealing with. The God of fire, the God of storms, the God of miraculous provision, right? And he's probably thinking, given his experiences, that God's going to show up in a massive honking earthquake or something, right? God's going to send fire and it's going to be stuff on fire. Watch what the Bible says. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Hmm. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Sometimes we are the lowest. God seems to speak to us the softest. Have you ever noticed that? When we are the lowest, often God speaks to us the softest. Sometimes it's just a word. It may not be much. It may not be loud, but it's, you're going to find it's always exactly enough. A gentle whisper, not the booming sign that God is capable of and has done before, but just the voice. And here, here's what I, I take comfort in today. I hope you can too. Is that I, I know, I know that there are 
those of us that are hurting. And I know what it feels like to listen to people like me when I'm hurting. And I also know that there's a chance that you might not find any confidence in anything that I might have said tonight. But I know that through my words, between my words, behind my words, in my words, God can and will speak to you if you listen closely enough. You may just hear that still, small voice. I'm here, and I'm with you. You're not alone, and I am enough. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is rest. Other times we have to capture lies and replace them with truth. If you listen, God will speak. The fourth thing that we see God doing here to help alleviate Elijah's depression, and ours as well, by extension. Fourth thing that God does to Elijah, this is beautiful. Number four, God gives us something to do to overcome depression. God says, eat and rest. Replace the lies with truth. God speaks in a small voice, and then God gives us that divine assignment. Look at verse 15 and 16. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came and go over to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, the king over Aram, anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, the king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, the son of Sherephat, from uh, Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Huh, what? What God's saying is, get back to work. Get back doing the stuff that prophets do. You're a prophet, get back to doing prophet stuff. And I believe the Lord could speak to you in exactly the same way today and say, there is something left for you to do. You feel down, you feel blue, you might even feel hopeless. You feel afraid, you're unsure, you've lost your confidence, you don't see it. And God says, if you are still alive, you, friend, are not done. If you're still here, it's because God has something to do with you. So go back to doing what prophets do. And you say, well, I'm not a prophet. Well, then what are you? Go back to doing that. You're a mom? Go back to doing what moms do. Business person, go back to doing what business people do. If you're a person of prayer, get back to your prayer life. Do you have the gift of serving? Serve somebody. Generosity? Give. Go and do what God's called you to do. And watch. And you watch as God will bring life back out of you. Go back, person of God, doing what you made to do. God gave him a gift. God gives uh, Elijah here the bridge to our uh, next subject. Uh, God gives Elijah here an incredible gift. He gives him the gift of someone who believes in him. One friend, a younger boy by the name of man, sorry, by the name of Elisha. Elijah, the man of God, and Elisha come along and they start doing what prophets do, and they start doing it together. And the young one says, man, if there was anything I could have, I wish I had twice of what you had. Right? 
give me a double portion of your anointing. And Elijah says to him, well, I'll tell you what. If you're here with me whenever I leave the earth, then you can have it, and that's the way it's going to be. You can have that double portion. Right? What was, uh, what was Elijah scared of? Remember? Jezebel. Jezebel still wanting to kill him. I'm going to make you a dead prophet by tomorrow. Right? His greatest fear of all, death, was something that Elijah, in our story, never actually ends up experiencing. The incredible conclusion of the story of Elijah is that Elijah is one of only two people in all of Holy Scripture that is never, ever recorded as dying. The one thing that Elijah feared most, he didn't experience. God, if you want to read the story, it continues. God sends a chariot of fire from the sky and sweeps Elijah up and he takes him into glory. And he never experienced his greatest fear. And the reality is, for many of us, right? Not all, but many of us, the number one thing that might be consuming you, your greatest fear, your biggest what if, for many of us, you'll never actually experience it. Because God can lift you above it. Others of you, I don't want to have just some kind of message that says, everything's going to be okay. Right? That's a hard sell, actually, in the Christian business. Is whenever you become a Christian, you don't get to win the lottery automatically kind of stuff. I mean, you've got to be honest with people, right? I mean, you should. Not everybody, I guess, does. But sometimes it can be a hard sell. Jesus saying stuff like, in this life, you will have trouble. Right? The reality is, you're going to have trouble. But Jesus also says, for I've overcome the world. Even if your greatest what if does come to pass, God will still be with you and God will be enough. I hope that you have the same comfort level that I get from examining this person of God, Elijah, on the top of the world, then on the bottom. Because in, in, the, in reality, that's a reflection of the way my life lives, is lived. I don't know if you're like me, but that's how my life is. After my greatest victories, my greatest sermon, the greatest church weekend, sometimes I'll go home and think, I just can't do it. I just don't know if I can keep going. And God says, rest. That's what it seems like God seems to speak. And when he does, he usually says, get back to work. Go back and do what you're supposed to be doing. Because God says, I'm always here, and I'll always be enough. So, next week we will uh, look at his protege, Elisha. Any questions? Thanks, guys. I'll be honest, this fourth installment of Elijah really, really hits home for me because I am definitely, definitely somebody that whenever I look around and I look back, I can see God exploding 
in the life of in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my church, in the life of my friends. And just one criticism, just one, just one wrong word can send it all into oblivion for me. And I find myself in a place that I don't even understand how I got there. And sometimes, well, sometimes the only way to get out is to listen for that still small voice calling to us from God bringing us back to God's provision, God's comfort, God's protection, and God's plan for our life. It's human. It's you, it's me, it's all of us. It's something to think about. So until next time, I hope that you will look around at your life and instead of focusing on the negative, I hope that you will see the blessings that God has put in your life. And I hope you'll listen, not for the big earthquake or the lion roar or the trumpet sound, but rather God's speaking to you in that still small voice. Until next week, friend, be blessed.